welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Melanie Curtis. And I'm Jason Maletsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. Yes, amen. If you guys want to find us on the internet, go to trustthejourney.today. That's our website and our Instagram. If you would like to subscribe, if you're a new listener, like, comment, share, all of those things help us get the podcast to a wider audience. If you want to engage more deeply with us, you can join the Trust the Journey family. You just go to our website, scroll down, donate on Patreon in any amount, and that will get you in that private Facebook group. Right on. We would like to thank Kimberly Joy Voice for taking over the editing process for us here at Trust the Journey. She's now doing the audio and video editing and publishing the episodes for us. So thank you to Kimberly Joy Voice. If you would like some podcast editing services, she is available at KimberlyJoyVoice at gmail.com and she'll be glad to help you out. Welcome to the family, Kimberly. Super glad to have you. Thanks for helping us make this show happen. Absolutely. I love it. All right, right on family. Let's dive in today. I'm excited about today's episode because today I get to interview the lovely Jason Maletsky and we're going back to our reflection series. So this is number seven and we're going to be talking today about Jay's story with flight one. So to start, I just have to acknowledge the shirt you're wearing. Totally appropriate. <laughs> it's his flight one shirt. Gotta wear the correct costume for whatever show you're putting on, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. So first I I want to start by making sure people know what flight one is. So I, I kind of want you to just give us a really short, just you know, concise answer about what flight one is. And then I'd like to start with the with the origin story of how and why did you found Flight One? Sure. Uh, Flight One is a education, training, and technology company. Uh, we're born out of the PD Factory team. It is a company that came into being uh, based on the needs to have an entity to manage our educational requests of the membership of the factory team over the last couple decades. And that blossomed into a military uh, canopy flight training company and has now pivoted into a technology company as well. That's fast. I love that because it's funny. The next question that I had, the very next question was, what were the original goals? Like, if you could elaborate on that, what were the original goals of the company and how have they been fulfilled and or evolved over time? Did you hear that based sure. on Zoom? Yeah. <laughs> Breaking up. Yeah, yeah. Cool. there's a little bit of internet struggle there, but not too bad. Um, the company, original goals of the company was to manage the requests of the PD factory team for sport coaching within the recreational world of skydiving. So we created an entity called it flight one. We started doing skills camps for high performance canopy pilots, people who like to fly high performance parachutes like we did. And that gave us a, uh, you know, a moniker, a name, something to associate with the skills camps that we were hosting. And back at that time, and this would have been in like 2003, 2004, the product that we were putting into the marketplace was groups of 20 or 30 people who like to fly their parachutes in a more high performance manner. And we were the, uh, experts in the field who would come and we'd work with groups of four to six people at a time and we'd do a few days of jumping in this large kind of group capacity and it was very much organized around the idea of people who were already fairly skilled 
and wanted to improve their skills and get a more coaching from the experts kind of um, product. And how that's changed is in 2004, I believe we merged with Scott Miller and Scott Miller is a very well-known jumper in history of skydiving. He was involved in a lot of test jumping for a lot of the parachutes that are most common in the marketplace today. And he also was involved in founding the Freedom of Flight School. Freedom of Flight was a hybrid school. They did uh, free flying and they did canopy instruction as well. And Scott merged with us at Flight One and he did uh, introductory level basic level or what we would call at the time the essential skills course and so scott brought to flight one the the set of skills that really the beginner jumper needed if you'd never jumped before if you were learning how to fly a parachute for the first time scott had a program that he'd been developing in conjunction with pd and john leblanc and a few other people and he brought that to flight one and we merged at that time Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, and you mentioned that you guys m now work with the military and that you've evolved into a tech company. What, how did the transition from I'm, we're working in the sport community and we're helping experienced skydivers. How did that transition happen between the sport experience side and the military side? Sure. Well, I believe if it was 2006. Uh, when we were approached by some commands from the military who came to us and recognized that we were the leaders in our area at the time. And they were looking for instruction to better their programs within their commands. And they knew that if they come to us, that they'd be pushing the envelope for their own kind of field of, of what applied to their work. But they also knew that we had the core skill set that was what they needed to get to. So in 2006, we started working with the special forces and we began the program that continues in development today, where we're constantly adapting and tailoring what it is we're teaching to specifically suit the needs of the customer. So back then, when we first started, we didn't have a military program. Now we have a wide variety of military products that suits all different types of applications, and they've been developed over the last 15 years. Yeah, yeah the it sounds like that was something that was... Uh, almost like uh, you get a request, you get something that comes your way, an opportunity comes your way and you said yes versus going, oh, no, we don't do that. We don't offer that. You said, whoa, this is an opportunity and we're going to step into that and and develop this new program. Was that was there ever a doubt or was it instant? Did you have are you co-leading the company at this point? Who's in leader? You know, like uh, tell us more about how that went down. Okay, so back at that time in 2006, we were largely focused on competitive canopy piloting. Most of everyone in our side of the business was doing high performance swooping and Scott Miller was in charge of the essential skills. So we really didn't have a lot going on in the basic training environment. Luckily for us, the group that approached us were already skilled jumpers. The The military operators who came to us already had thousands of jumps. So they knew that they who they were coming to and they knew what their, where their interests were and they were already high performance pilots. Mm -hmm. So it was a bit of a gift basket because here we have, you know, the, the best soldiers in the world coming to the best competitive athletes in the world and saying, hey, tighten up our show, show us what we need to do. And so we started off on the high performance side of the house and we did basically one-on-one -on -one work with the lead guys to, you know, school them in our schools of thought on how the entire system functions and the way to approach things. And together out of that, we built the program. So it was really co-designed specifically for that application. 
interesting. When you were in that part of the experience where you're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to just say yes to this. We're going to do it. Were you excited? Were you nervous? Like what was the feeling as someone who's innovating you know, so it seems like to me, I hear that and I go, that's a version of innovation. It's a version of entrepreneurship. It's a version of of creative and business courage. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like that's what I when you say all that, that's what I feel like I hear. And I'm wondering what what you felt during that time when you were doing that, if you were even aware of that type of stuff then. You know, it's hard to say at that point in time, we were really just up for whatever challenge arrived. You know, we knew that we were the leaders in the industry. There was obviously competition present, other groups, other teams, other individuals that have, you know, a solid set of skills that they could lean on. And these commands also engaged with those other individuals and looked at other opportunities. And it was an opportunity financially and an opportunity um how do you say this what's the word to describe that it's a it's a mental challenge it's a it's something for us to it's a challenge for us to overcome that we have to create something to fill this need and we had known for a very long time that the military parachuting operations were quite far behind the recreational or sport skydiving world. So I think there was a a very, you know, I know for a fact that there was a, an awareness within our organization that the guys are approaching us out of frustration. They're coming to us going, we don't, we're so far behind right now. We don't know what's wrong with what we're doing. We know you guys are miles ahead of us. We need some help. Help us get this back in track to where it needs to be. And now the beautiful um, irony that comes out of this is now, 15 years later, military parachuting instruction is a decade and a half, a decade, decade and a half ahead of recreational parachuting instruction. So well, I'll clarify that for our listeners is if you start skydiving as a civilian, the level of education that you're going to receive in the open marketplace, if you just enter, you know, anywhere is it's a kind of a median standard of what we would expect to receive as far as the quality of education, the type of materials, the, you know, the curriculum that's being used that standard has been slowly increasing over time, but it's now at a, at a particular point. 15 years ago, the military were 25 years behind. They were so far behind and had a really long way to catch up. Now, if you were to enter as a military jumper, you're going to be at least a decade ahead of where you would enter if you're a civilian jumper because of the technologies that we've co-developed in working with these special forces groups. Can you share more about that technology? Is that something that is is something you can talk about? Sure. Uh, the primary technology I'm referring to there is our curriculum itself. And the thing that makes our curriculum so unique and so powerful is we apply scientific theory to it. And what I mean by that isn't that we use scientific formulas, because of course we do that. What I mean by that is we use a peer review program. So if you're in the world of science and you come up with a theory, you have to write a paper, an article, and you present it to the rest of the experts in your field. And the experts in your field cut it up and, you know, spit it out and see whether it holds water or not. And so what we've done within Flight One is we've created an environment internal to our organization where nothing goes into our curriculum without everybody having the opportunity to give it the ax and really put in their voice and their two cents about whether what we're saying actually makes sense and it actually has value and it's being delivered in the right order and whenever we see uh, anything come to light that is 
a, a new uh, awareness, a new realization. Like, oh, we've been doing this the wrong way. We change it. We're not stuck in whatever we've been doing is the way to do it. We believe that if we've been doing something and somebody brings an idea to the table and says, hey, we've been doing this wrong. It does not matter who presents that idea. If the idea is holds has merit and it holds water and everybody agrees that that is the correct way to do things and we've been doing it wrong, then we pat ourselves on the bat for on the back for acknowledging the person who presented that idea and we say, I can't believe we were doing it wrong for so long. And we accept that we've been making a mistake and we move forward with a new direction. So that's evolution. And that's what's making our curriculum so powerful is that it's evolving every day, constantly changing. So I'll wrap this up with one more statement is I've been teaching uh, canopy flight now for 25 years. And I know that if I teach a course tomorrow, right? If I teach a course this weekend, what's going to be taught at this course this weekend is not what was taught at our courses last year. It's new material. It's revised. It's more intelligent. It takes into consideration more elements and there's more technologies applied to it to shore it up and prove that the things that we're saying actually make sense and that there's actually data driving the results. Fascinating. The part of growing an organization, like the way you're talking about that, how it's evolving and how you're, you're now a team that implies that you had a core startup sort of team of founders. And I'm curious about that dynamic, but I, we can start with the, I mean, I guess you tell us whichever is the sort of more, I don't know, logical place to start, but the core founders, core leadership that then is creating an expanded team that's bringing on staff, that's bringing on partners, that's bringing on and navigating attrition. Uh, you know, like I'm curious about th like the lessons or the process that Flight One has for hiring and and the culture around their staff. Oh man, so many lessons learned through time in that area. Well, let me first speak to who the founders are so that we can kind of carry some timeline to this all. Perfect. The original idea for Flight One was born in a uh, team retreat on PD Factory team, team retreat, our first one. And that was held on Hontoon Island in Deland, Florida. So there's a little camping area where you can rent a little plywood cabin that's got some bunks in it and you can get a fire pit outside. And, you know, we were sitting around on camp stools with sitting around the fire, drinking some beer and, you know, being young skydivers and dreaming and putting together ideas. And the idea for flight one was born there in 2002, 2003. The founding members who actually signed their names on the bank accounts and the incorporation documents are Jonathan Tagle, JC Colclazier, Shannon Pilcher, Ian Bobo, and myself, Jason Maletsky. And that happened in 2006, we incorporated. So that's really when the rubber meets the road kind of time when we're like, hey, you know, we had met I think it was mid 2005 where we'd sat down and we're like, this, this is getting traction. This is going, you know, we have to start diving in here and making a bigger picture plan for realizing the value opportunity that we see in front of us. And so that's where we started the whole thing. We put our names down and we started making bigger plans for what we wanted to see out of it in the future. Um, yeah. I think that covers the, the initial kind of formation of it. Yeah. Let me talk about the 
the growth and change and yeah. development. Adding so, people, including more people. What does that look like? What? How did you decide what that those tiers of of staff would look like? I'm very curious about the staffing and the growth of that. Yeah, so many challenges in that area. Uh, one of the things that we did early on was we made it a level organization where we said everybody involved is going to have an equal share and that we demanded that the people who are vesting into the company as owners all had equal share in the company and had equal share in responsibilities. So we knew the strength that came in the concept of team and that you can do so much more as a team than you can as an individual. So we dove into that and divided up the different areas of responsibility. Some people managed finances, some people managed curriculum development, some people managed um, relationships and contracting. You know, we, we basically split up all the different areas that needed to be handled. We had partners right from the beginning. I mean, we were already a group. It was never a sole proprietor mm -hmm. uh, organization. So there was an opportunity presented to one of our other PD factory team members. And he just, he said, no, thank you. You know, decided to opt out and it wasn't for something for him at the time. Mm -hmm. And following the incorporation, we continued a partnership with Scott uh, even when he decided to leave the sport and move on to other things in his life, um, we started, we were pretty haphazard in the beginning, you mm -hmm. know, it was mostly about like who was motivated, who came to us that put up their hand to say, I really want to be part of this, you know, and then we would consider whether or not they were a good match for the team, um, it was all pretty friendly and there was a lot of good faith agreements um, it's not the way we do things now. Mm -hmm. There's been a pretty big change in how we used to operate versus how we operate now. When and why did that change? Well, you learn your lessons, right? Um, not having uh, structured contracts, not having clarity of what it is people's responsibilities and agreements and all these things, it, it leaves a lot of assumptions. And we were a beginner company. None of us had business education. Uh, we're entrepreneurs whose primary focus was actually competing in canopy piloting, not running an educational business. This was a side hustle. It was a, a second gig that has very much become our primary focus over the years. So I'll give some scale and perspective is when we started, there were five of us. Now there are 50. Right. Mm -hmm. So over the last 15 years, we've grown to having now on staff, I think there's 49 at the moment, you know, instructors awesome. and yeah, and office staff. Uh, we're currently teaching in 36 countries and we're now in seven languages, recently translated into Mandarin to start teaching in China. Fabulous. Uh, yeah, really proud of how diverse and how broad bread we are and campuses all over the world, uh, Israel, Australia, Holland, all over Europe, um, mm -hmm. South Africa, you know, South America, Central America, really, really putting it out there. So the way that we staff, the way that we bring new instructors on board, the way we, we add people to the Flight One family is we invite them to come join us. We have eyes and ears on the ground all around the world. We pay attention in the competitive canopy piloting scene, but we also branch out and look at the small DZs, the small drop zones, and we see where are there people that are really the local champion. And when I say champion, I don't mean a competitive person. I mean, somebody who's got the best interest of their fellow jumpers in mind, somebody who is a natural coach, somebody who's all about inclusion, somebody who's making going the extra mile already on their own, that they're a self-motivated person and they're going to do the work to make skydiving safer and better and more fun for everybody, whether they're part of our organization or not. Love it. Those are the people we're looking for. Beautiful. I love the origin story too, in that it's such a great example of entrepreneurship 
at its at its beginnings, where so many people, I think, look at businesses that are successful, that are that are have grown and gone through growing growing pains and found, uh, you know, success with their established culture and processes and all of that. And they think that the founders and the people had it all together from the beginning. Oh, they just totally knew what they were doing and they just executed it. One straight line versus your story, which is most people's story in entrepreneurship is they didn't, we didn't really know what the fuck we were doing. We just were kind of doing stuff because we were called in a direction and we were doing stuff because we were given opportunities and that then contributed to the ultimate ability and visioning of the bigger structure as it now exists today. Would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. We had no intention of becoming a military training company. That was never on our goal list, nor did we have the goal to become a technology development company either. Moving into the tech world is just something that just happened. Tell because. us more about that. So you've said that a few times and I'm like, what do you mean? What tech? I'm like, it's kind of exciting. You know, can you give us more specifics as to the tech? I know your training program, like you mentioned, but but tell us more about that. I'll start with a few examples that show where we have uh, they've organically occurred and they are through trusted partnerships and you know, like I said, organic occurrences. So a uh, prime example is working with Michael Cooper at Flysight. Uh, Flysight is a GPS logger and real-time feedback piece of hardware where you can get an audio signal while you're flying that can give you information about your, your flight path, uh, your speeds, your descent rates, different things like this. And back in 2013... I'd been using this device. It was originally designed as a training aid for wingsuit flying and for base jumping. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Michael's an incredibly intelligent human and a really beautiful person and a good friend of mine. And I really appreciate his passion for developing technology. And I sat down with him one time because I'd been using it for wingsuit flying and I'd been using it under canopy. And I was trying to get data from the device that I couldn't really extract. I couldn't understand where to get the data out of it or how to get the data out of it that I knew was in there. I knew that it was tracking information that I needed to know as a canopy pilot that I could put to use for me to become a better, more educated pilot, but I couldn't extract it. So I sat down with Michael and we talked through designing a new software that would enable the user to be able to extract that information in a functional way. So we co-designed a software which is still in use today and the latest version came out just recently. It's called the Flysight Viewer and that piece of technology is free available on the flysight.ca website and what it does is it offers you a multitude of perspectives on how to view the plot or the graph that you created during your flight. So the coup de gras of this whole piece of technology is I can take a camera recording, a video recording that I've made if I had a GoPro on my head, or if I filmed somebody landing from the ground, if I have used a, a ground-based camera and filmed a landing and I can down to the millisecond, I can sync up that video to a data plot, like a graph, an XY graph, and a map position on Google Maps. So I can see the jumper's perspective. I can see the view that they're seeing through their camera. I can see all the data that correlates to that on a graph, and I can see their position over the ground and my external camera all synchronized together perfectly so I can learn I could tell what somebody's doing with their body by looking at the video and see how that turns into data on the graph where I can see a, a blip on the data and I can look to the picture of the canopy and see what's going on that's causing it so I gain this amazing perspective that's never existed in our sport before yeah, wow. where I can move through different points frozen in time and have actual data to correlate 
between the two points to understand, oh, this is making them go faster. This is making them go slower. This is causing more glide. This is causing less glide. Here's where we're having a higher dive angle. Here's where we're having a greater, greater descent rate, whatever it might be. So, so that's yes. one of my oh, favorite examples. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, I'm someone who has benefited from that as someone we laugh because Kaz Shiki, she's one of your amazing instructors. Amazing. She's, yeah, she's great. Phenomenal. She's one of my teammates on Highlight, our demonstration jump team, and one of my beautiful friends who I love dearly. But what I what we laugh about is when we're prepping for demos and she'll bust out the information and we'll look and we'll really, and I've never been that type of canopy pilot. I've always been eyeballs, you know, like feel, see, and I never have really, not until recent years, did I take a look at data. And Kaz has been a conduit for that for me to really learn more. It's been wonderful. I'm like, I love that I'm, I'm elevating my own canopy piloting after what, 23 years jumping or whatever it is, and able to feel that much more confident inside a role that really matters, jumping in front of big audiences, representing skydiving in the public arena outside of the sport. It really, really is great to feel even more supported and even more confident and knowledgeable and aware going into these unknown locations. I can say for without a shadow of a doubt that I have learned more about canopy piloting because of the FlySight viewer than anything else. That wow. has been the number one source of truly reliable data. Everything before that was look or feel mm -hmm. or opinion. It's all subjective. And I love the fact that the subjectiveness is removed and the, it is objective data. It is simply a recording of what has happened. And we're able to analyze that data and observe the outcomes of our decisions and learn how to improve our decision-making going forward so that we get the outcomes that we want. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I feel like there is a point where you... And I'm asking because this is, I have low experience in terms of processing data and making decisions around data. Uh, I would wonder though, as a, as a canopy pilot, I feel like there's, maybe it's, this is a reflection of my inexperience with data or not, but you tell me is I will feel supported by the data. I will consider the data. I will check my altimeter and, and, you know, experience it and, and anticipate and look and read real time. And then there's a point where I stop thinking about that, where you're just flying. So what's the, what's the question? Well, meaning like, I'm not going to be like looking at my altimeter right until my final turn. So I actually changed the way that I fly over the last number of years that I was competing to I virtually never look away from my altimeter. Interesting. I've come locked on it just like an aircraft <laughs> fascinating. pilot. Fascinating. You know, I, my altimeter is directly in my field of view. I don't wear it on my wrist or my arm because that's not where you can see it. I wear it either on my chest or mm -hmm. on my leg. Usually it's on my leg and I look between my legs to see where I am. And I look at the wind indicators, which are also beneath me. And I can see everything I need to see in one field of view. Interesting. And I, I will check my altitude every minimum of every one to two seconds. Amazing. I love it. Wow. That's so cool. I mean, that's a whole nother podcast is you actually coaching us on parachute flight. <laughs> so we don't necessarily need to go there, but I love that. Going back to partnerships and staffing and people working with other people, is there a story of a challenge that you faced as it relates to parting ways with a staff member or a partner that, and like the lessons you might've learned around that experience. I think every company has these lessons as far as attrition and the differences that you run into with people, uh, the different paths that 
life's lives go on and that companies go in. Um, we're pretty fortunate. There have been very few. There have been a couple of very difficult circumstances and some that are somewhat regretful. I wish they could have been handled better at the time. And I've made a point where I can in my life to go and try to rectify those or to remedy them uh, moving forward where we've gone, you know, if there was a sour uh, split between it, anybody, then, you know, once things have had time to settle and we like, why did that go sour? What was the key learning points here? You know, where, where did the frustrations arise from? What, what were the causes of these differences in, in direction? Those have been really key. And I don't know that I could particularly put my finger on any one. I would say more so it's been the entire journey that's led us to a better understanding. And it really brings me to where we are right now and an awareness of how the company is shaped now and what's changing within the organization now is all a big reflection of those experiences. So one of the things that we failed to do as a young company is without, without any business training, without any mentorship to say, this is how to set up a business that's going to be highly successful. We're just in it and we're, we're basically playing catch up the entire time and we still are. We didn't have a clear vision for the organization. We did not have a clear mission for the company and we did not have our core values clearly identified. So the last few years of this company have been largely focused on those three elements, clarifying the company's vision, which I'm very happy to say is flying better together. I love it. It's a it. vision I'm easily, easily can join in on and say, yes, yeah, I want to be part of this. This is something that makes a lot of sense to me. It, it's what makes everybody feel good about their whole experience in flight is let's just do this better and let's do it together. Mm -hmm. Love yeah. it. Beautiful. Our company mission has been developed out of that and over a number of years of kind of beating around the ideas and it's a challenging process to come up with it. Like, what is your mission? And the, the vision is the why. Why are we doing this, right? So the why is because we want to all fly better together. The what, the actionable item, the thing that we can actually do is we're pioneering. We like the challenge of new things, of like going places that haven't been gone before, doing things that haven't been done before, that creative side of everybody in the organization. So pioneering the evolution of flight through teamwork, training, and technology. That's our mission. And, and that really that. sums up who we are within the company. And, and having not had this in place for the first 10 years of the business meant a lot of confusion. It meant that there was a lot of times like, what, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we making this decision to work with this group? Or why are we going down this path to develop that product? Do we even agree that this is something we all want to do? And not having those vision and mission statements truly ironed down as something that everybody has agreed and bought into and said, yes, this is why we're here and this is what we're doing, meant that there was a lot of there's a lot of battling around it and it leave it causes a lot of the problems that came up in the first decade of the company. The piece that anchors next to that is the core values. And I know you're very well familiar with the concept of values, Miss Love and Gratitude. <laughs> love and gratitude here, love, love and, and hilarity, hilarity there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'm with you. So We've been doing a lot of work the last year on getting the core values of the company um, clarified. And it has meant collecting feedback from everybody in the organization. Everybody who's part of the company was given the opportunity to put in as much feedback as they want in all the areas that we we're asking for feedback in and open to all feedback, of course. And then it's been the task of the leadership team to sift through those all the feedback from everybody who offered their opinion and to get the biggest marbles to come to the top of the jar 
you know, to really see what is the main things that everybody's talking about here and what, where are the values that the people who are in our organization already have? What are their personal values and how do they relate to the company? And so I'm very happy with the direction things have gone and we're going to be doing a uh, video and releasing our new develop, newly developed core values for the company here in the next couple of weeks. Oh, Super so exciting. exciting. Yeah. It really is a beautiful story of, of like, it's going to sound funny, but the phrase that came to mind was like getting your shit together. You know what Fucking I mean? <laughs> and I, I love that you acknowledge the mess. I love that you acknowledge those growing pains because I feel like that makes it more accessible. I think about young people listening to your story or looking up to flight one and going, that just feeling like it's so far out of their reach that I, I wonder what you would say to somebody who has life force in them that has energy and drive that's not necessarily directed, but there's some calling toward, you know, either an entrepreneurial direction or a direction in skydiving in general. Um, what would you say to the person who's like, oh, I could never do that because it's, you know, that concept of it's just too big, it's too much. There's no way I would get there. Well, I mean, this is like any coaching question. If you tell me you can't do it, you can't do it. You got to tell me that you can do it if you want to do it. That's the first thing. So it's all about whether you believe you can do it or not. I can speak from my own journey only ever. And I can say, you will only ever achieve the things you believe you can achieve. So having the skills is something that's an after effect of having the conviction first to just go for it. Yeah. Is there something that comes to mind in your journey? And this can be in flight one or your personal journey that you originally really thought you couldn't do, but then for through life and, and your just moving forward and making choices, you ended up shifting that belief. Well, that's a tough question. What could I not do? I, I've always been I the kind of person that. who just... Yeah, I miss I miss I, that. No, I've always been the kind of person who believes that I can do whatever I set my mind to. So cool. I've felt like there have been challenges that are really daunting that I've been very afraid of. There have been concepts that it's, I guess that's a, yeah, here we go. When I really dig in, like what are the things that I looked at other people's skill sets or other people's lives and said, Ooh, I don't know if I can do that or not. It's learning to use Excel spreadsheets sitting in <laughs> sitting in a board meeting all day long it's having a calendar that commits me and guarantees my time i've always been a very free-spirited person and for a long time i did everything off my own kind of instinct and gut feel of where i was at with things and moving into a more structured and professional way of doing things seemed really scary to me and something I didn't know if I could do that or not. And now I love it. Uh, yeah, I love it a lot. Oh, so I love the evolution of that. The, the looking at our, uh, looking at our brain and going, okay, we can't believe everything it tells us, <laughs> right? The concept of, oh God, spreadsheets are not for me. You know, not that, oh, I, if I believed I could do spreadsheets, I could do them. That's different from you saying spreadsheets are not for me. That's, you know what I mean? That's a sort of different uh, energetic tone around capability. You know what I mean? Like I could do it if I wanted to, but it's, I don't. I've discerned and decided for myself that this is not for me. And there's an interesting limitation in that thought you know what I mean? Of like the idea of saying something is not for us. And it may be accurate in this phase of our lives. It may be accurate for this phase of business. 
And then, of course, we and our businesses and our our mindsets and our desires evolve. And so I, I love that that's a I'd small like to- micro example of that. But you're the bigger. Oh, the bigger example. Oh, can you hear me? <laughs> Zoom. We did we break up? There we go. I was sort of waxing poetic about about that, but um, you were. I think you were going to jump in and say something. Go for it. You know, there's an example that I learned in my journey of something that's not for me, and it's one that I tell students year after year after year, and I just feel like it's the perfect analogy for representing how I we make ideas within ourselves about what we do or don't do or what we do or don't like. And it's just a story that we tell ourselves. So I never used to wear gloves when I was skydive. I like the idea of having my hands bare because sensory feedback on my hands is better without gloves on. And so I could feel my pilot chute handle. I could feel my cutaway and reserve handles. I could feel my risers and toggles. And my my tactile feedback was better without gloves. And I got to give a pat on the back to my my old um, roommate and coach and friend, Joey Jones. He was one of my early four-way coaches. And he would always say to me, he'd say, Jay, wear gloves. I'd be like, Joey, I don't like wearing gloves. And he'd be like, okay. I'm like, well, I'm paying him 300 bucks a day to tell me what I should do to be a better skydiver. And he's standing there telling me, wear gloves. That's going to make you a better jumper. And I tell him, I don't like wearing gloves, Joey. (laughs) And he would just say, okay, you don't like it. You're not going to be a better jumper straight up. That's just it. Like the the rules of the game are not created by what, by what we like or don't like. Fact of the matter is, there's a high speed sport. Your hands are very delicate and they're very important and you need them and you should protect them. And gloves do that for you. So the big picture is you're much better off to jump with gloves than you are to jump without them. The number of times that I've Uh, opened up my hand unintentionally on exiting of an aircraft or getting tangled up in risers on an opening. And now I have a bleeding wounded hand that I need to use. Then I'm going, man, I really wish I had gloves on. (laughs) The other thing is that what I learned as a competitor, when I finally adopted using gloves is your hands are so much stronger with gloves on. Like you get this added strength where the, Tactile feedback is actually a negative thing where your hand will tell you to stop doing that because of pain and you'll let go of something where if you had gloves on, you could hold on for longer because it protects your hands. And we don't think about both sides of the perspective all the time. We get wrapped up in one idea. So I just love that story because every time I have a student that shows up with no gloves, I just say, get some gloves, put some gloves on. And I'd say 50% of them say, oh, I don't like to wear gloves. Yeah. And I'm like, all uh, right, well, you're paying me 500 bucks a day to t- tell you to wear gloves <laughs> and you're not listening. <laughs> I have always been, uh, back in the day, of course, I started in four-way FS competition as well. And and I've worn gloves from sort of the beginning of my skydiving career. And so I've always been in the camp of, I wear gloves even when it's 120 degrees in Arizona. You know, like I'm always wearing gloves for sure. I wore gloves on the two naked jumps that I did, you know, (laughs) like, um, yeah, I love that. But okay, going back to, I kind of want to round this out with, you know, the reflective lessons, but I feel like there are three different buckets that I'm curious about. Like if you had to reflect on your experience with flight one, what are the biggest lessons and and just anything that comes to mind doesn't have to be like the number one hierarchical lesson of that you've learned over the years as one, an entrepreneur, business person, two, as a leader and three, as a person, as a human. 
as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a leader and as a person. Well, let me start with as a leader. Yeah. I think the biggest lesson that I've learned here is that the job of the leader is to be an excellent listener. I think the, the true leader is the one who really listens to what everybody has to say and takes all that information in and sifts through it all and tries to get to like, what are the really key things that are being said here? What's the underlying thing that's not being said, you know, really trying to pick up on those subtleties and and the things that are straight up direct and and putting them all together. And I'll take that and mix it with the team is always greater than the team is more powerful than an individual, right? We are never as well perspectived or developed or our potential is just the potential of an individual is never the same as the potential of a group. So as a leader, what I've learned is that the decision-making I can do, the direction that I can put towards an organization is going to be best served by listening to what the group has to say and letting the group lead themselves, essentially. Yeah. So um, cool. And I wanted to highlight before you shared about the if you have a someone brings a new idea to the table and it's better i just love how that's sort of really highlighting the idea of an idea meritocracy Absolutely. from ray dalio's book principles just such a such a powerful cultural pillar to always elevate the best ideas it doesn't necessarily matter where it comes from yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. And that's been a big change in our organization over the years as well. Uh, I would say as a person, as an individual, the biggest thing that I've learned is just to put my ego aside and to learn to... The, the, everybody has an opinion, Right. My opinion is just as valid as anybody else's opinion. Anybody else's opinion is just as valid as mine. And in that, we all sit down at the table as equals. And that's what gives everybody a fair seat at the table. It's what gives everybody a fair shake. You know, I have to be willing to put my ego aside. And hey, I had a pretty, I have a pretty well developed ego that need constantly needs shaken down and you know, told to sit down, be quiet and listen and, and give everybody else a fair chance. You know. That's huge. Powerful, powerful, especially with so much, so much, so much experience behind you. That's something I think I hear a lot with people who are in fields where they are the voice. They are the most experienced person in the room that sometimes that can automatically box out the value that comes from people who really don't know much that like the uh, really remembering that amazing ideas can come from the people who know the least because they're not boxed in by what they know already. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so as a leader, as a individual and as an entrepreneur, yeah, as an entrepreneur, Ooh, man, going into business for yourself is the best and worst thing you can ever do, right? Like I wouldn't, I haven't worked for somebody else <laughs> as a proper, like relying on going to a job for somebody else as my main source of income for 20 years. And I can't imagine ever doing so again. Uh, a couple years ago, I took a job force somebody else and I took a job as a chief instructor and I knew that it was it was a summer job it was only a few months and I knew that I was going to be stepping in under somebody else's you know program and doing the job that they needed done and it wasn't my business and it was fun 
uh, it was a pretty, I felt pretty good about doing it because I knew that the friendship that was there had a lot of respect in it already, but I can't imagine just going to work for a company, you know, just a random organization that didn't have a very clearly stated vision and mission for the organization. Not a chance, not a chance mm -hmm. would I work for anybody that didn't really stay who they are, why they're there and what they're doing, you know, as an, as an organization. Cause if it's just for a paycheck, I mean, I might as well shoot myself. It's just misery, right? Like I had that life where I hated getting out of bed in the morning. I hate got home and I was tired and all I wanted to do was drink and go to sleep. I just couldn't stand my life. So the choice to become an entrepreneur almost wasn't an option for me. It's like, there's no other option except work for myself and find other people who have the same vision as you because you can't do it on your own. You might think you can, and I'm using the you instead of the we in this one, where I typically try to speak in the collective. Mm -hmm. I try not to point things at people individually. But for those of you who are listening, who think you can do this by yourself, you can't. You need a team. You need a family. You need partners. You need friends. You need trusted individuals. It's all about relationships. You cannot do this on your own. It's not about being on your own. It's about being better as a group. The fact that you're a team is what makes it worth doing. That's the point. Ah, oh, love it. Oh, so powerful because it's interesting, this idea of entrepreneurship being a, a glorified and romanticized path. And I think it's so important to note that, like you said, it's the best and worst, meaning, at least this is from my experience, it is not for the faint of heart. There are days when you are fucking exhausted, terrified, uh, like there's many days like that, but it's like the freedom and the ability to create and the limitless nature of what you can do if you choose to. And, you know, like that part is un is just wildly motivating to me. And that is what sustains me through those periods of being like, holy fuck, this is hard. Yeah, I can say that there have been so many days when I have just been pulling my hair out with frustration. There have been many, many, many sleepless nights of just agonizing over struggles, internal and external within the organization. Uh, I could just a couple of weeks ago, I had a sleepless weekend because I was torn up about one of my partners and how they're feeling and, and how the relationship is, you know, not quite where we want it to be. And, you know, both sides of the, both sides of that are like, you know, how do we get to make everything right? Because that's really where we want to be. We want our, our work and our family our, and again, I'll quote Ray Dalio's book. It's meaningful work and meaningful relationships. You know, totally. It's, I live and breathe by that. That's exactly for me, a hundred percent meaningful relationships, meaningful work. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Period. I would say that's the same in oh, all of I my endeavors, it. whether well, it's, if it's tr trust the journey or if it's, you know, musical art creations, if it's mm -hmm. personal relationships and partnerships, if it's, you know, financial investments and developing of technologies, developing of materials, whatever, you know, whatever it is, it's all about having meaningful work with meaningful relationships. I love it. Well, on that note, my friend, I feel like that's a good place to end unless you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with the audience before we go. I guess the last thing I would like to say is there's so much exciting stuff happening in flight one that we have didn't even talk about right now so i'm really excited about the future i feel very confident that what you're going to see coming out of this company in the next 5 10 and 15 years is going to be completely game-changing for the world of skydiving and i'm looking forward to our 50th anniversary never mind our 15th well if people want to get in touch with flight one where do they go flight-one.com boom i love it 
Enough said. Family, thank you for being here. We love you. We hope you got a lot out of this. Feel free to drop us a line anytime. You know, DM us on Instagram, trustthejourney.today. If you have just feedback on this show, questions from something we talked about today or on any other episode. And yeah, we're always open to that feedback and engagement. And of course, if you want to join us in the family, the Trust the Journey family, you're welcome to do that anytime. Just donate on Patreon, like we said, and we will let you in and (laughs) love to have you. If you want to follow uh, Flight One, you can follow us on Instagram as well. There's Flight One Sport, Flight One Military, and Flight One Tech. We've got three different Instagram accounts for the different parts of our business. And we have our Facebook page, which you can find very easily by searching on Facebook for Flight Dash One. Perfect. Yeah. All right, my friends. Same, same. If you want new audio engineering help, Kimberly Joy Voice. We love you, girl. Thank you so much. And everyone listening, we love you. And onward we go. Trust the journey. We love you. (laughs) 